You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Hello, Juliana. You knew. You knew what would happen. You showed me that film and you knew. You knew I'd come here and I'd kill him. You think I wanted to hurt you? No. No. No, the only thing I knew was that you, Juliana Crane, were the only hope any of us had. You asked me if you were in the films. You are. You were. Over and over again. Sometimes I'd see you in the background somewhere, a protest, a speech, a war zone, maybe. Some place that mattered. I started knowing where to look. You could never stay out of it. Some of the people you knew, I started seeing them too, revolving around you like an atom. But... They would change different behavior, different relationships, different points of view shaped by their lives. But you were always you. You and your unnatural, consistent mind. What if you haven't seen this film? Well, I got to know a woman who would bet on the best in us, who bet on people no matter what the world said about who they were, who they should be. That woman would do anything to save a sick boy, a Nazi boy, even, because she would believe he deserved the chance, slim as it might be, to live a valuable life. And I knew that was the key, the only way to make sure that your sister's father wouldn't prevent that boy's father from stopping a war. Dixon died in an alley so that son of a bitch Smith could live, but San Francisco is still here. Millions of people will live because of the choice you made, the goodness in you, Juliana. One selfless act of love and hope. That's what I put my money on. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club. So excited to be here. I am honestly not even sure what earth we're on. But luckily in this dimension, um, still have recording equipment. And uh, yeah, so I'm afraid to look outside to see what flags may be flying. But luckily... Somebody is here with me that I know very well, and his name is Nick Anastasio. Hey, everyone. Hey, Matt. 
I'm glad to be here. I'm not sure which earth we're on either. I don't even know what reality is anymore, but um, I'm just happy that in this one, at least, we're not, it's not the one that we're going to talk about. I agree. I 100% agree. We're going to be uh, looking at Man in the High Castle seasons one and two. I will let you know the strange story that led to us doing two seasons at once in a few minutes. But before we do that, I uh, just want to remind you, you're listening to the 602 Club here on Trek FM, and you can find us all over the place. But the best place to go is over on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. You will find every single show we do there. But, of course, you're listening to the 602 Club, which means that uh, if you haven't yet, we please do ask you, to go over to iTunes, give us a star rating and review. Let us know what you think of the 602 Club. We'll let uh, the rest of the world know what you thought of the 602 Club. We'll read your review out in the show. It's been a while since we've uh, had a, a review, so uh, hit us up with one and uh, help other people find the show. We're on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can also... Find us over on the web at trek.fm. While you're there, you can check out all of the different shows that we've got. And, of course, uh, if you're on any of the show pages, you'll see a little button that says Discussion. That would lead you over to our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. Also, you can find us on Facebook just by typing in the Babel Conference. Uh, and then, of course, we're also on Facebook as the page, just facebook.com slash trekfm. Uh, so, before we dive into this, Nick, the reason, everyone, that we're actually doing two seasons, we don't normally do two seasons at once, but uh, somehow I watched season two before I watched season one. I uh, got to the very end of the season and realized that I had watched, uh, well, the wrong season. Um, and, and the way that that happened, honestly, was very strange because... the. Amazon doesn't do as good a job of laying out their shows on their app as uh, Netflix does, which makes it very clear, you know, season one, season two. Um, and so somehow, yeah, I, I mean, I take full credit for just being an idiot and uh, watching the, the wrong season at a time. But I think you slipped in, in a parallel reality. Where where shows are told oh, in reverse order, yes. So you watched it in the right order in that in that other reality, without knowing you were there. There's a portal somewhere in your house. Be careful. Um, that or maybe before that, I was meditating and found myself in that different reality. I don't know what happened, mm -hmm. but it's it's a good possibility that happened. So we'll be diving into seasons one and two, which means we're covering a lot of material. So we won't get a chance to talk about it all, and this will definitely be a time when I'm excited to see what people think on Twitter and Facebook and the Babel Conference about this show. But I really wanted to start here, which is the comparing and contrasting of season 22. And I was very struck by how different the seasons are in the sense that season one is very classic season one. It's very straightforward Many of the characters are mostly black and white. There's not a ton of nuance. And then the second season, I feel like, just explodes all of that and what you thought you knew and turning a lot of that on its head. So um, I wondered what you thought of that as well, Nick. 
being somebody who actually saw it, you know, season one and then season two. <laughs> I um, oh, you know what? It could be also. It could be you because I know you and I are disciples of George. I think you might have, you might have, you might have subconsciously wanted to do it that way. Basically, watch season two and then have the prequel to it to see how things started. What with happened? his nonlinear storytelling? Yes. yes um, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, you know, I felt. I, I'm not sure, and this is not really important. I, I'm not sure that it was intentional. Instinctively, I want to say that that they didn't start out and make season one with that plan in mind, and something happened along the the way, and they realized what they had on their hands, and then by the time they were rolling with season two, they they really ex- exploited that potential. I could be wrong. It, in the end, it doesn't matter because like any any product of art, you look at it for what it is and the artist's intention matters less than the end product. But um, yeah, I do feel like season one is is really good in a very straightforward black and white, like you said, um, narrative, alternative history, things turned upside down. What if the bad guys had won World War II premise? And it's I mean, there are there are some nuances, but it really sticks to that very much. You know, who you would expect to be a bad guy is painted as a bad guy, and and the heroes are heroes within within the protagonists. I think there are a few shades of gray, but you know, I think um, Joe, be, namely, kind of being this double agent character who, yeah. who you're supposed to kind of see. Okay, well, he. He works for the bad guy, but but at the same time, he's heavily depicted as a protagonist and someone who is reluctantly on the bad guy's side, but doesn't want to be, and is sort of like has a hero's heart. Um, and <laughs> then make, and then again, it makes me think of uh, that cake song, reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Uh, that's that's Joe. Like he does not want to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, see, it's funny because when season two hits. And he's not the only one. It's not so much that he does a 180, but his character becomes 100% more complex. And, and it's re- it's a, it becomes a lot harder to put him in a box in terms of his actions versus his beliefs, his intention versus his actions. Um, and, and part of it, I mean, you actually see him even question himself and go back and forth, but there's still, I think overall, he seems to be a lot grayer in terms of, of what he, what he embodies. And, and I definitely feel like that was intentional. Like what they did with all the characters in season two, I felt was deliberate. Whether they had planned that from season one, I don't know. But within season two, by then, it felt very deliberate. Like this, this whole idea of taking, your perception of the sides and saying in the end, um, in the end, I think the message that they're trying to, to, to really convey in season two by contrasting, especially to season one is compassion and empathy is really where, where true good is at and compassion and empathy will always trump ideology and righteousness. No matter where you land on the spectrum, you know, at the end of the day, true compassion and empathy is where where real goodness comes from. Um, and they play with that among all the characters. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real sense almost that, uh, I mean, I liked the word that you used, uh, righteousness, because I feel like, you know, the, the the season one and season two contrast really shows that true righteousness comes from true compassion, true empathy, and that's where true goodness comes from. And, and when I say true, there, um, you know, there's that, that, that sense of, of that what we would consider the universal good um, comes from the the actions of of one person and it ends up being Juliana, you know, uh, and it's even said kind of explicitly at the end of season two. And so I, I felt like she is the represent she becomes the representation that of of all of then the nuance we see in the rest of the characters who in season two, we really do see kind of fleshed out and and made. Uh, much more complex than they were in the first season. You know, I, I think you were right to call out that when you're looking at season one and season two, Joe is the one who who kind of is the 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 most wishy washy of the characters in the sense that he isn't quite sure when he wants to be in in season one for sure, and even at the beginning of season two. Um, but you know, the rest of the characters, I and I'm like when I think of you know um, John Smith, you know he he in season one feels very villainish, very evil, you know? Um, and, and it's not until season two and the end, I guess the end of season one into season two, where you really start to see, Oh, there's a whole other side to this guy. And it has to do with like what you were saying with this compassion, um, you know, and, and because of his family and everything. So there, there's a really, I think, well done, sense of of creating characters uh and then allowing those characters um to be less characters and more human even by season two and i think that's the thing that it really captivated me even and especially watching it the way i did is 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 being able to see the how those characters came to be like they were in season two which was great and so the fact that there is this difference between the season one being more straightforward and then season two being kind of a mind bender was was great um, because I, I felt like season one, if they had tried to do what season two did, it would have been more difficult to really get into the show, especially with the metaphysical and, and like physics of what they're trying to do with like there being, you know, alternate realities and everything. Season mm-hmm. one being much more straightforward helps you really set a foundation. Okay, this is what this world is like now. Um, and then when they start to bend that in season two, you're, you're, you can go with it because you have a confidence of where you've come from. So I just I, I, whether that was, like you said, and whether that's intentional or not, um, it, it actually, I think, works thematically. Um, and it really serves both seasons well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and um, I don't know, again, like we said, that whether they had intentionally projected where what they were going to be able to do with season two based on one. But I feel like you're 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 completely right there again, like when they did season one, what they did, which was smart, even even if it kept things closer to sort of a baseline is they did, you know, the fact the fact that it's that it's very linear and very I don't want to say simple, but very straightforward um, is that is because they stuck to the world building and to do world building, especially in a complex, like visual narrative environment, you have, you, you can't, you can't start to just 
throw a ton of complex ideas at the same time as you're trying to explain to your viewer the rules of that world. You got you got to sort of like stick to like, okay, well, good guy, bad guy. This is how it works. This is where the borders are. This is what we do, right? This is the, the basic mechanics of that world. And that doesn't afford you the time to get too philosophical with it. But like you said, then they had that. And then they started to go, okay, now, now that everyone knows the basic rules of the game, we're going to start changing things and going down the rabbit hole. And, um, and it, it was, it was great. You know, where, wherever that, wherever that idea came along, doesn't matter because it was, it was the right, the right thing to do. Um, I think, um, the, the, the trade minister character, Tagomi is probably to me, the one who is the closest behind Juliana in terms of representing someone whose actions are not driven or become less and less driven by anything other than the close moral compass at the center of your heart and and just compassion for the person for your brethren for the person in front of you you know love thy neighbor basically and 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 to the point where he's able to um spoiler alert I mean, I think that happens in season one to a certain degree within the confines of this very conservative and very kind of rigid society he's in this and this and his alternative history world. But even once he the spoiler, once he kind of once you once you realize that our reality. Also exists in this universe and and he's able to access that world. Um you you see him be able to really go beyond a lot of boundaries in terms of not looking at gender, not looking at age, not looking at race, and then just learning that the the act of love is just seeing yourself in the person in front of you, regardless of what the surface looks like. Yeah, I really agree. You know, I think uh, that Takomi is a character that you really see um and and I, I think you're absolutely right to call out, you know, like Juliana, it, it's a, the character that um, most closely reflects uh, the attitudes of what we wish we were, you know, the best of us, right? Um, and, and even, you know, I, I think one of the great things that you see is that um, he he is willing to be silent, to give things space to learn, you know, um, I, I love uh, his his um, and, and this is one of the things I think is really important too, um, in the show. He's one of the few people of actual faith in the show, um, you know, because he he truly believes in the I Ching um, and the Oracle and um, the guidance that he gets there, he holds on to that. Whereas, you know, the the rest of what we see from the Japanese culture, it, it's more of a, uh, a, a something they just kind of walk through. You know, they give, they they pay it homage, but they don't really believe it. Whereas he truly has a belief in this, and I think that that closeness of spirituality was very interesting to watch. Um, that it actually gives him the opportunity to, I think, connect then with the greater realities that are out there. Um, so that when he transfers realities, he he doesn't spend a lot of time talking in those realities, but he spends a lot of time listening and watching. And what he picks up is, I think, really beautiful in that, specifically his story, the way that he, the the metaphor of him fixing the broken cup, literally mending reality 
for that family. You know, like that, that, the beauty of that. And, and then of course, you know, um, in that, that reality, Juliana is his, his stepdaughter, you know, and him mending the bonds with his son. Mm-hmm. And like all of that together is such um, a really beautiful picture of who he is as a human being. And that his goal is, like you were saying, peace. It's, 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 it's defined balance. You know, he only wants parity with the Nazis because he wants peace. He wants people to be able to live, you know, um, and that's really his only goal. And he's trying to find a way to do that. And then, and of course, that's when, you know, he he works with Obergrip and Fuhrer Smith, which try saying that three times fast. Um, and uh, of course, you know, the head of the Kempe Tai, who's also found a way, uh, Tashiki, uh, who's... Um, you know, been working with John Smith again as well, both trying to keep the peace. Um, and they find this way to do that. And I, I just, you know, it all, yeah, the way it all comes together there is really beautiful. But yeah, I'm with you. Tagomi's character is one of the most beautiful. And I think one of the things that stood out to me uh, throughout the series, and it, it it's reflected in him and it's reflected in Juliana, of course, but that this show is all about how our choices really define who we are and, um, you know, what really defines these people then is their choices when their backs are against the wall. Like, and that shows you what we truly believe in. So um, are you going to fight? Or are you not going to fight? Are you going to stand up for um, what is, is, is right? Or are you just going to follow this, you know, value that you said that you believed in and so what you truly value when your back is against the wall uh, becomes that choice and and seeing a lot of these different characters make surprising choices i thought was really awesome yeah and i think i think his character is that much more important um for the viewer and for juliana to really to really sort of propulse her character as well because when once he crosses into our reality or what seems to be our reality because who knows we may find out that this is this is yet another but one of many this one seems to have a history that's much closer to ours and what i think is is tremendously important in terms of a a a lesson just like the two season act in contrast to show that love is love in the end and love knows no color knows no flag this is what Juliana teaches us. But to prove the point, he, by crossing over, he shows the counterpoint to that, that suffering is suffering no matter what, no matter the boundary. Because there is, you know, when he first crosses, you kind of have the reverse effect as we have in Star Trek when when in the mirror universe, you know, mirror, mirror, when the characters cross into the mirror universe. And it's sort of very straightforward. Well, we... We live in a good universe and we've stepped into a bad universe of evil people. And when Tagomi crosses over at first, again, they, they, and at, at that point, it's very deliberate. I think they play it so that it's very black on white. Oh, he, 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 and he, I think himself feels this sense of like, I went from a reality where everything turned out bad to a reality where everything turned out okay. But then he starts to see that it's not. It's just a different kind of suffering, but it's no less. He starts to see 
what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He starts to see the way that Japan was defeated. And, and it's not to say that there is an equal, that, it, that, that things are being equal in terms of there are no good guys, there are no heroes and villains. But again, that, because that, it's not about ideology and who was right and who was wrong. It's about suffering. And he, re- he understands that this world, our world, if we assume that it is ours, just traded another form, one form of pain for another. And that millions of people suffered from the same madness, you know, which is which is righteousness, righteousness coming from the wrong places in terms instead of compassion. And and I think that that's a very valuable lesson to learn through his point of view as somebody who crosses over between the worlds, because that really helps to sell to prove Juliana's point and, and to validate her actions, which is it's not, I'm not going to take sides. It's not about one party or, or one ideology. It's about doing the right thing in the moment you are to help the person in front of you. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the choices that they, they make then, you know, and I like what you're saying because in the end, suffering is something that's, that's universal. It's across all of the different worlds. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's it's what are I think the the question is the choice of what are you willing to suffer for, you know, because that that becomes Juliana's choice. Right. She's willing to do all of these things. And yet she continually suffers. She loses her, you know, her her sister. Um, she keeps losing until, you know, again, spoiler alert, the very end of the, the season two, when he says you haven't lost everything. That's not true. You know, which I just rewatched that scene today and it was making me cry again because it's just so well done. Uh, but, you know, the the choices you're willing to make, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to suffer um, for what is right, what is true, what is good? You know, um, it, it definitely makes me think of the Apostle Paul talking about those ideas. Um, think on these things, what is good, what is true, what is holy, what is just, what is right. You know, all of these things that that really we hold on to. And, and I thought that that was interesting because, you know, John Smith, when his back is against the wall, yes, he's a good Nazi. But when it comes to whether or not he's willing to sacrifice the life of his son for the quote unquote values of the Reich, he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's because when his back is against the wall, there is a truth that goes beyond the rhetoric of the Reich which is, no, family and, and the love of another human being, whether they are suffering as sick or not, they still have dignity. They still have rights, you know, all those things that we believe in. And so I thought that was really fascinating to see because, again, it, it comes down to when your back's against the wall, what do you truly believe in? What do you And, and what we see somebody like him, yeah, he's a great Nazi in, in other places but when it when it truly comes to you know to shove with his values what he values most is the love of his family mm-hmm. and that's a value i think we could all get behind and i think that's that's just again it makes such a fascinating contrast and it it, it makes those choices so much more interesting for people uh in this show because it's not just like you were saying, this this black and white thing. Um, there is a sense of black and white, but it becomes about these people 
gripping with the truth of there being a right and wrong beyond specific like political ideologies you know and i thought that's fascinating to me and and just as you see over the course of the two seasons characters like juliana or tagomi and how the closer they get to that reality that that at the end of the day good and right with the capital r comes from compassion and what's in your heart what you know instinctively to be the right thing you look at the other characters and the ones who who hide behind or seek refuge or run to an ideology for surface strength and you see how that becomes rigid and brittle and and how that you know you start to see i'm i don't know because we haven't seen season three yet but i have i have a feeling that this is kind of where it's going to go is to show that that type of strength is not true strength and in the end it's always going to crumble under its own legs and you you see that with smith you see that with with frank with juliana's boyfriend or ex-boyfriend i guess at this point you know and the fact that he's someone and again whether that was intentional or not from the beginning they set him up in season one you truly feel for him he goes mm-hmm. through horrible things and you really feel a lot of empathy for him right and and to the point where i think at times you even sort of take his side against juliana because you feel like she's kind of abandoned him going through through really torturous events but the pain that he takes on the grief he takes on transform into hatred and he just kind of runs fueled by that on this fanaticism which then in the end gives him a sense of strength to help him or he thinks i think deal with his grief and his pain but doesn't really and you can tell that the more the more he runs towards that anger the more fragile it makes him and the more unable to really cope with anything it makes him. And and in the end, that that anger is going to catch up to him, you know, and and the pain is going to catch up to him and to the point where it does. And and when he sees what he's done, you know, I don't know exactly where, how it's going to develop from there, but, but it's, he's literally from death becoming rage and pain all he's created is more death and more pain and really nothing else. And so I really, I think it really shows characters like that, you know, show how that kind of false idea of righteousness never pays off. Well, and, and yeah, contrasting him and the choice that he makes compared to Juliana, you know, Juliana loses her sister and the reason she takes it on is not because of the rage, but it's because the love she has for her sister and wanting answers then. And there's a real difference between that and like you're talking about with Frank, where it just becomes this this anger that overtakes him. And, you know, I think, you know, in, in many ways you can see how Frank's anger does exactly what Yoda says it does, you know, <laughs> fear and, and hatred and, you know, death, you know, it just leads to those type of things. And, and so, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's it's really interesting to watch all of those things. And also, you know, um, it kind of brings up the idea of choice in, in who are you depending on your circumstances because Hawthorne uh, talks about the idea that, in, you know, in some realities, you know, people are rotten and some in their kind, but really it kind of depends on, you know, if they have food and they're hungry or they're safe or scared, you know, it depends on who they are. And, 
you really kind of see that with like the choice that Joe makes in the end from season one to two. It almost feels like he finally gets to a place with his father where he feels accepted and loved by the person he always wanted to, you know, know and and be connected with. He has daddy issues. Um, and once that is secure, he then begins to accept the world in which his father is a part of and accept what his father accepts because he feels loved and 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 valued and and but also secure and and it gives him an identity that he has never really truly had instead of the one that he had been kind of cultivating beforehand which is this I don't really know if I want to be a part of this kind of world and and part of that has to do with the choice between the father figure that John Smith was for him which was one that uses him and the the father that really does truly seem to love him um, mm-hmm. which is his true father, um, Heisman. And so like you, you end up with that, that choice he has between those two, I guess, types of figures in his life. And, you know, he does the thing that I think we all would do. We would choose the one who seems to truly accept and care for us um, regardless um, and, and doesn't seem to be trying to use us. Um, but the choice he also makes is, is one that leads him down the path to being a Nazi and it's it's a it seems like a whiplash almost from season one but when I put myself in his shoes and what he's been through it kind of makes sense because in the end you really I mean what is the goal you you're going to choose to be known and loved you know who his father is to him there is is a good person you know yeah I mean absolutely and I, I think um, I don't know if you remember when uh, I, I was I watched uh, season two when it dropped. I think it was last winter and uh, I was texting you. I didn't want to spoil anything, but I was texting you that um, in many ways, the way the story was developing was reminding me a lot of the way that I felt George was trying to write certain themes and certain certain story ideas when he did the Star Wars prequels. And it really, yeah. it really echoed that for me. I really felt like that, like you said, that desire for acceptance. And in the case of Star Wars, you have someone like Palpatine who feeds on that. He recognizes that in Anakin, that all Anakin wants is to be loved. He has this, he has this kind of vacuum. He's someone who never feels loved enough or maybe never has felt loved the right way. And, and he's always trying to get acknowledged. And, and the moment he turns that on, the moment Anakin feels like, oh, there's someone who, who validates me, he just kind of goes, he does, like you said, what we all do, which is say, okay, well, then, then, then I can wrap my, I can reroute my, my head around a lot of things because, because this person gives me what, what is most important to me. And I think that I really loved the way that the second half of season two, especially developed as a Star Wars fan, because I felt like, I, I mean, I appreciated it for itself, but I kept seeing, you know, this epic version of the prequels done as a as a miniseries and how that story, this political takeover and all this backdrop. I think what George was trying to do, this kind of idea of this, this huge operatic um, mechanism, you know, political coup and, and, and toppling of systems going on backstage and, and center stage. You know, being being the, the uh, this very intimate portrait of, of of a love story and someone's someone's lack of love and 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 seeking love, 
um, felt like it was playing out in a really beautiful operatic and theatrical way in, in the second half of, uh, of Man in the High Castle season two. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, you really can't see the way that, that Joe is seduced into the life, you know, um, obviously one literally seduced <laughs> by, uh, Nicole, uh, and and that she helps kind of bring him into that world and and give him a comfort level with it, and then his father you know does the same thing, and and I what what makes it so fascinating is that the seduction and the choice that for Joe then is not between do I become a Nazi or not become a Nazi, it's do I choose to be with the people who love me uh, and accept me and want me, or do I not? And and so it, it's really not about the other the political realities, you know, the um and and the right and wrong of whether you know the the Nazis are doing good things or not. That's not even entering into his head at that point. Um, it's it's on a very emotional, personal level before we can even get to that. Absolutely. So, yeah, which yeah. is I think something that's you know a. a it, it brings it home as to what makes us tick as human beings, which is so much more than just these, these things of, of, um, you know, the larger realities of right and wrong. It brings us down to what I, our desires are mm-hmm. and, and how that shapes our reality, which, you know, the whole idea of reality in this, this show is always, is really crazy. And it kept reminding me of, the C.S. Lewis quote where he says, you know, I find my desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And that quote kept running through my head because you see that in these characters like Juliana, obviously the man in the high castle, Tagomi, uh, this idea that they, even Hitler has this too. You know, he's mm-hmm. obsessed with these films, this idea of another world. And so you see that and and you even see this a little bit in, I think you see this a little bit in Smith. um, And I think you see this a little bit in Takashi uh, as well somewhat. Just this idea that there, something doesn't quite feel completely right, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and that they are searching for something else. Uh, and of course, you know, we, we find out the answer that reality is made up into these different realities where different right. things have happened. Um, and I, obviously season two, I knew at the moment they mentioned the Heisenberg device. I was like, oh, well, time travel. Um, so, uh, which I find really fascinating because obviously the thing that Philip K. Dick loves to play with is our sense of reality. Exactly. Um, I mean, I was going to say we have we have to remember that this is based on the Philip K. Dick story, and that's that was his thing is basically getting you getting exploring what is the concept of reality, what is it defined by? You know, your sense of your sense of self, and your is it your senses? Is it something that comes from within, from without? What makes you real? What makes you an I versus versus not? Um, so so you can definitely feel that. Um, I, I know I haven't read the book, but I know it's quite different. Uh, like Blade Runner is quite different from from um, uh, Electric Sheep. But 
I, you know, that I think they, they latched on and preserved very strongly the sense, the sense of, of, uh, of what is real and what isn't. And you're right. Um, it does come into play with many characters. I think in season two, especially when Smith starts to have, uh, you start to kind of see these semi and they're very, very creatively done. Um, these semi flashbacks slash almost dreamlike memories. This, this I think is what goes towards kind of the questioning of reality because I think they're on the first degree interpretation meant to be memories of his life before the end of the war when he was a U.S. soldier fighting for, for America before, before the U.S. Uh, surrendered. But there's the way that they're shown has this kind of dreamlike quality. It almost becomes, it's almost as if he would, could barely remember yeah. or like it feels like something that he can't quite reconcile with where he's at now. And I think that that, that goes towards what you're talking about. Yeah, and and I think you know the the idea of that reality. It, one of the questions that I I had then, based on this, was I couldn't understand that the one thing that that does bug me about the show is the this this ready to acceptance of people, the especially in the Reich, the the Nazi way of life. Uh, you know, uh, how does John Smith go from being somebody who is in the army, you know, Signal Corps, to being Obergruppenfuhrer over the entire United States? Uh, how how does you know a cop, um, as you know, Joe is traveling and he's like, oh, it's just Tuesday, and they're burning all the cripples, you know, and and the deformed, and you're just like, it's a it's a WTF moment. You're just like, seriously, what the yeah. How 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 do that? Because I mean, I I think to myself, there's no way I would accept that, you know. And how how does that happen? And I think that's one of the questions I I actually I I hope that they will kind of deal with head on um, in season three because I do think that that's a pretty big. It seems to be a, a a bit of a plot hole at the moment for me, where it's just like I don't understand how these people go from being a U.S. citizen, you would be sold out to freedom, all those things that America is in World War II um, at that time period, to being people who could be Nazis. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Um, I I hadn't really thought about it, but it's a very good point, and I, I think I don't know if it's a cheat that they're just doing it or, or that they will, or if they will address it. Um, I think that, yeah, if it was something where you said, okay, it's the year 2022. Um, and it's been 80 years or 90 years since the world lost world war two or the allies lost world war two. I could believe, you know, once you're on the second or third generation of people right. who have been born and raised into a world where they've been, indoctrinated they wouldn't even first of all history is rewritten they wouldn't know better they would believe values that are that 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 are that are ingrained since birth and they wouldn't even question in large majority the validity of those values but we're talking about people who have firsthand experience of the life before and that experience is not even that far this is 15 years after the u.s surrendered so 
it's you know it's not yesterday but almost those memories would be very close so it's, so you, it's like it's like a 911 away like that's when you think about how long that's been i mean that's that's kind of the time period we're talking about so so it's it's definitely um and and there are i mean there i think there are moments in season 2 where you explore i think they tr- they go there a little bit with smith and there seems to be almost a sense of anger which fueled his sort of acceptance or embracing of the of the Reich in the, in the sense that like he felt like well we lost because we were weak and the Reich and its ideology is strong and in the in the in the most raw sense of you know darwinian evolution they're the better ideology because they won and they were strong therefore that's that's what makes it worth embracing and i think i mean i get it and i'm kind of okay with with that on paper but you need you're right you need to see more because especially again when you're at that at that ground zero of someone who has lived a life before that's fine again if if there was somebody who was a kid and you taught them that they would believe it without questioning it but someone who saw saw it the other way would be like, well, but wait a minute, it wasn't like that before. So, and I think you you absolutely see that, and you're making a great point because that's what you get with Thomas. You know, he's raised the perfect Nazi, and the perfect Nazi then you know turns himself in because he has a deformative disease mm-hmm. that uh, he shouldn't live, and he truly one hundred percent believes that. Whereas his parents can't accept that because they do have that experience. And so that juxtaposition is is the thing that uh, when I really got to the end of the season, the second season, I was like, was really starting to get bothered by, especially when they opened up the the last episode fallout um, with the, you know, John Smith and his wife being in uh, Washington and then they see the bomb go off and everything mm-hmm. and it's just like how do you go from being that person to being who you are now uh, and and it's very difficult but on the other side you see exactly how you know their kids would you know you you indoctrinate somebody long enough you tell somebody lies long enough they're going to believe them as truth you know and that's exactly what happens with uh their children you know they are raised uh in a way to believe something that they believe it wholeheartedly, so he is willing to die for this twisted, awful belief um, that his life is not valuable just because he happens to be sick. And and there is a story element that could go towards explaining how American values, specifically America and American society, could have been undermined or weakened enough that a lot of people would have sort of given in to some of these m- much more extreme um, ideas more easily but the thing is it's not it's not explicitly in the show if you if you research the background of the book and and from what i've i, I researched it is it, it is the same premise that they didn't change for the series but they never talk about it and i I hope that that's what brings up comes up in season three or later because i think we need to have that um the idea is that it was already a different world before the Second World War. And um, the U.S. Um, actually, what happened is in that world, 
Roosevelt was assassinated in 1934, and the U.S. never came out of the Depression, and so struggled on and remained isolationist and remained weak. And I, 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 I'm not sure anymore, but it's, it either never entered the – well, it did enter the war because we see it, but I think it entered the war later or it was in a, in a position of weakness. And so it never had it never had the momentum that the U.S. had in our world. And I think the idea is that because of this extra this extra decade and a half of American society struggling with everything it did internally, you have a lot of people who don't believe in the values that they believed in by the time America and our world entered the war. And that's that's that can that definitely I think can be a huge help, but I think we need that in the show. It needs to be stated so that we see where these people come from. Well, and when you put that into context with the late twenties and the very early thirties, there was a there was a rise of uh, fascism in the United States um, that could have taken over if the right people had won office. Um, We could have gone down the exact same rabbit hole that that Germany did. Yeah. Um, thankfully that does not happen. But if you, if that is the history of this world, then that makes much more sense. You know, if, if that has, is part of that history, then, you know, you end up with Roosevelt being assassinated and stuff, that stuff makes more sense. And that will be interesting to see if they do deal with that since season three does look much more like it's going to deal with the alternate realities and, right. uh, some sort of, you know, travel between those realities more so than what we've even had in, in seasons one and two. So that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, there was a plot I remember reading about in history class, uh, which was fascinated and horrifying at the same time in the, in the thirties, there was a plot, um, uh, which was hashed by, a. uh, uh, I think it was, I mean, there was under, under a dozen people. Um, they were, they were, um, rich heads of, of, um, businesses. And I don't know if they, I think they were senators, either senators or congressmen, um, who were, uh, pro fascists and they had plotted to depose Roosevelt and to take over and then sign a pact of non-aggression with Hitler. And this is before, before the war started. This is in the, I think in the mid thirties, I want to say. Um, and it came really close. Um, they, I forget the details now. I could definitely look it up, um, and give you the names, but it came very close. They, they were, it was, they were pretty foolproof. The only reason it didn't happen is not because they made a mistake or it's because it's the classic, you know, <laughs> criminals are actually usually weak. Um, one of them got cold feet and went to the FBI and ratted out everybody. And so they got busted. Um, but, uh, but so yeah, there was definitely, you're right. Uh, at that point, especially in light of the, of the depression and how controversial some of Roosevelt's ideas were, um, there was a, 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 a fairly significant, um, rise of, uh, of, uh, fascism, uh, in, in the U S yeah. yeah. And it, and I mean, it's one of those things when you just look at that time period, you see, so many countries dealing with that problem um, in, in different ways. And, and even, um, you know, so fascism, you know, takes over in Germany and, and obviously in Russia becomes communism, but it's really um, 
this idea of it's a nationalistic idea you know it's it's just you know so that really takes over in in so many different countries and very detrimental ways and so um and that's one of the things that i thought was really interesting in in this quote from the very last episode of the season two and it's it's what plays at the very beginning of this episode as you listen to it but i love this when he says uh, the man in high castle says to her he says I got to know a woman that would bet on the best in us, who bet on people, no matter what the world said, who they were, who they would be. That woman would do anything to save a sick boy, a Nazi boy, even because she would believe that he deserved a chance. As slim as it might be to live a valuable life, millions of people will live because of the choice you made, the goodness in you, Juliana one selfless act of love and hope and what i i really liked about this 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 idea was that juliana sees past the labels of who people quote unquote are to just see them as human beings first whether they're nazis or not whether they're you know part of the kempe tai or not whether they're uh you know uh, japanese or not she sees people as human beings and, and she sees them with love and hope for the best that they can be, not necessarily who they are at that moment. And I think that's, that's a, there's, a, there's a real beauty in that because what that is is kind of what we had mentioned earlier, which is that idea of what that's what universal good is in love is is to see past what people are labeled and see them first as a human being. And, and, and I thought what was really beautiful about that and and what was in some ways I think poignant for where we are today you know the word Nazi gets thrown a lot, around a lot but I think the beauty of who Juliana is is that she sees past even the word Nazi mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's really important I, I think that that is the I mean we need more messages like that um, to see to the heart of people um, and, and try to understand them. And I thought, I think that's the beauty of the, this story from seasons one and two is that, you know, the moment you stop trying to see other people as human and you only see them as whatever label it is you want to put on them, then that just allows you to uh, treat them however you want. Um, you know, however that label dictates, you know, oh, they're a Nazi, they should die, you know, they're Japanese or, you know, like it's it's this sickness <laughs> that we have as human beings and, and, and Juliana breaks that. And I think that's what's kind of beautiful. And what I also love is that he also tells her that she's the constant, like she's uh, she's constant in every universe. She is who she is, which is the same person. Um and that it's the choices that she make uh, and makes with the people around her that usually ends up for good in whatever universe she's in. And I, I really like that, too, that it also seemed to drive home this idea of this absolute consistent goodness and love. Um, but there is such a thing as absolute good. Uh, and Juliana shows us what that is, which is, is sacrificial love. And I think that again, it's just such a beautiful message. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I think uh, uh, you said it perfectly when you said label. Um, it's a it's all about the the main message 
uh, and the moral of this story so far is um, look past the label. And it's not, it's not, I want to be clear, it's not about excusing anything that's wrong or bad. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about saying the way to break that, the way to break evil is by looking past, by not making it about a flag, about an ideology, about something that's a, a clothed layer, but looking through that and seeing the naked person, because at the end of the day, we're all naked. We're all the same. You know, we have that same nakedness. We're born naked. We die naked, you know, and we are the same. There's no difference. And, and so that's what that means. It's not, it's not saying, it's not excusing or justifying the evil that people do. Um, it's, it's showing that when people act in the name of false things that are, that are outside, um, and that are exterior layers, that is not true good. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever color you say your team is on, if you act in the name of that, then that's not true good. And, and again, this is, I think, why it's important we see the counterpoint across the other reality that we visit. It has suffering. It has people falling prey to the same, the same problems in this reality that they spend most of their time. And we see that from every side, people falling prey to the idea that in the name of what they believe, that is right. And, and it's, they show you time and time again that that unless you look inside for what is right, as long as you look outside in those outer layers, it will never be right. No matter how, how, how you think it is, um, how much you think it is, it won't be. And you have to look inside. And I think that's what Juliana does. That's what Tagomi does. They look inside for what is right as opposed to outside. Well, and, and in a lot of ways, it, it almost reminds me of what you got in, uh, in Wonder Woman, you know, it, this whole idea of like it's not about what people deserve it's about what you believe you know do you believe that they deserve a chance with at, uh, at love do you do, do you believe a person has the ability to be redeemed do you be, believe that a person has the right to be treated as a human being and to give them a chance even though they might not necessarily deserve one you know and i think that's the real beauty of what we get in in this story you know it you know it, who the the Nazis are in this show are awful, right? But don't they deserve the 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 right to to make a turn to make a change? And um, if you if you never give that and you and you never show them another way, um, and you just immediately call them a Nazi and then write them off, you know we see that you know Juliana has a huge effect on Joe. And the moment that, you know, Joe and her kind of separate ways is when Joe begins to be influenced by other people that lead him down the wrong path, you know. Um, And and so but she she has a really good influence on him. Even when she knows who he is, she still saves his life because she she believes that he deserves a chance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty. And and, and what's so disheartening today, you know, just go on social media and people are yelling back and forth about F you and stupid Nazi. And they just throw around all of these words and like there, there's no there. You are only 
fueling the hate. And what this I what I think I love about this show so much it it's it's whole message is that we have to stop that. You know, because the 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 hero here is one who works for what is truly good for all people, not just whoever who happens to be on quote unquote her side. Um, she works for the best of all people. The, 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 the ultimate message is that if you, if you remove all our clothes figuratively and literally, there is no way to tell us apart. We're all, we're all the same. We're all naked the same way. And, and, and it's, you know, that's, that's the ultimate reality, you know, that, that, that's the truth, which I think they're trying to say is alternate reality or, or parallel realities, events, all that is surface. But the truth, the one, the one thing that's constant is what we are inside, you know, human, human, humanity, compassion, these things that those things are universal and those are the only things that you can say, you know, we all are. And again, if you, if you remove, if you remove the concepts of, you know, the figurative concepts, you know, that I'm talking about is things like nationality and language and ideology and all these things, you have people who are all going to be, you, you put them in a room and you're not going to be able to tell who's who you're going to have just people. And that's what we have to remember that, that we're all, we're all one and the same. What did you think, um, kind of, because there's so, I mean, this, it's such a huge show and there's so many things we could talk about, but one of the things I was really interested in, uh, especially between seasons one and two was really the production value of the show and especially the way that grew between the seasons, because I feel like there's a marked difference between how good season one is, but then how much better even that season two is. I I completely agree. And I think it's there all along. Uh, but I've, I've been meaning to save it sort of for my final thoughts because I, I had a feeling that we would talk about sort of the, the ideas, the themes more in our conversation. But I wanted to take the time to point out how well produced the show is uh, in every respect. Um, the photography, the writing, I think the writing we, we've talked about so so much you know, of things that have to do with the way it's written, that that's already clear, but, um, the way it's photographed, the way it's edited, the music, um, it's very well paced, uh, with very nice, very nice sense of buildup. Um, I think that, uh, I do feel like there's a significant difference between season one and two. Um, I don't necessarily think that in the end it's that, that two is better produced. I think it's more, if I had to, but based on my own experience, I would say that it's, it's probably more the classic scenario of you don't, you may not have as many resources when you start out. You may not be as certain and as confident with what you can do. And so you're a little more conservative in your choices because you don't want to, you don't want to take too many risks and you have to be more careful with the dollars you have. And so, which is a very significant reality when you produce uh, content, especially when you do something that, that ambitious. Um, and it's not in a genre that has such a track record of, oh, oh yeah, alternate history. People love that. You know, so, uh, I think what I, what I, what I recognize is more kind of the same talent, but more conservative 
and then it explodes in season two because season one is a success and all of a sudden then everyone which is again kind of a common thing in many many hit shows everyone now can sort of like let themselves go more full throttle and say oh well okay so now i can really play with my craft whatever that is and i mean you have i believe i'm sure we'll be corrected if i'm wrong i think it was david navarro who who did um the first uh episode if i'm not right i I know it's the same guy who did um uh who shot i don't think he directed but he was involved either directed or shot um the uh early episodes of star trek discovery and it's a very very talented um director of photography and i've I've loved the photography throughout season one and season two um there's a great use the music is beautiful the soundtrack is beautiful in both seasons but again i think i feel like in season two what i did what i what i pick up on is more freedom and all of a sudden they start to be it, it it the that extra freedom pays off into that much more sophistication so i mean it becomes very operatic in the best of ways um and um and very enjoyable i mean the way it's staged the way it's shot the use of lighting um is is just fantastic in the second season yeah i have to say the production value of the show is is insane uh and I, I agree with you. I, I do feel like, you know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, in, in you know, I think you'll agree, uh, first season of The Clone Wars next to like second and third season where it's like, okay, you saw what you could do and, and now you just kind of, you make that jump and you really start to push things. And uh, I, I, I think that a big part of that is probably that they just got more money from Amazon too uh, for mm-hmm. the second season because of the hit that it was. Uh, and I do think it shows. I also think, you know, season two narratively and just the way that it's structured is much more ambitious, um, but that's because they laid the foundation that you needed um, in many ways. I, I, I'll reference another film franchise, you know, the Harry Potter series where, you know, the first two films are much uh, more conservative, but they, they're needed in many ways to lay the foundation for that universe and to kind of set the visual rules that then you can play with throughout the rest of the series. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, all of that together is is really wonderfully done. I, I agree with you. The the music for the show is fantastic. <laughs> the fact that they use Edelweiss for the uh, opening song is just gorgeous. It's it's very well done. Um, to play off of that, what we you know, it pulls on the heartstrings of uh the sound of music <laughs> and, and what Germany could have been, and and then to see this, it it kind of breaks your heart. And so, you know, I I really appreciate all that they did there um and then like you said you know the writing is fantastic the i I'd, I'd say that production wise with this the acting in the show is phenomenal there's absolutely nobody in this show that i don't like in the sense of what they bring acting wise to their character i think it's perfectly chosen and then the other thing that i have to really compliment this show on and and, and many um and you know, you know this uh, from Discovery. Um, you know, there were no scenes of uh, extraneous sexuality or violence that weren't needed for this actual story. I didn't feel like there was no point here where 
what you see on screen isn't actually a part of what's happening in the story so that it's necessary. And they only go as, as far as need be for the scene. Um, so again, I, I just really appreciate there's, there's, you know, there's no random Klingon boobs. Um, you know, I mean, just, there just doesn't feel like anything like they're pushing a boundary because, oh, we're on streaming and we can do that. It, it feels, it feels like necessary for the story. Yeah. I have nothing against, you know, violence or, or, or nudity even, um, as long as for me, good storytelling comes from motivation. Everything you see, yep. everything you show, everything you hear has to be motivated. You are, as the storyteller, the god of your own story. And so there is no room for accidents. There is no, no room for fortuitous circumstances or gratuitous circumstances. And so as long as I feel like what I see, what I'm told is for a reason, a specific motiva- motivation that's part of the story, then I can get behind it. And you're right. Everything, there are moments that are, that are very hard, um, where very poignant things happen, but those are all part of very important moments. And it's never done gratuitously for the sake of look what we can do. Like you said, because we're not on network TV. For you, uh, if there was, I mean, if you were going to rate season one and then rate season two, uh, where do you think you fall with both of those seasons as we look towards season three? I uh, would, I think, give season one, if I can break it down that much fraction-wise, I would give it 3.75 out of five um, uh, dented American stars. <laughs> and um, and I think I would give season two 4.75 out of five um, stars. I mean, yeah, you definitely feel the ramp go up. Um, and, and it's not, it's not a dig at season one. Like you said, it needs to be smaller. It probably has no choice but to be smaller for the reasons we talked about. So it does what it's supposed to do, what it can do as well as you can expect something this big and ambitious to do it. But, um, season two is that much better. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of right there with you. For me, uh, I'd say uh, season one is four out of five cans of film, and season two is uh, 4.75 cans of film. Like it... It, there really is that marked difference, and um, but I, I take nothing away from season one because I, I highly enjoyed season one. I thought it was great going mm-hmm. back and watching it after I'd seen season two, um, and it was actually very interesting to see that fill in all of those gaps and the way that the characters got there, and I thought it was, it, it, again, it's just a well-done season, but season two really takes, I feel like, what they did in season one and makes a statement. And what I, I felt like is that they kind of, they leave everything out on the table in season two. They don't really hold back. And so it, it, it again, this creates that wonderful problem, which is, okay, how do we, how do we continue that trend then with season three? And my only hope then is that they have figured out what their end game is. So yeah. they know how many seasons they need to do of this, and um, 
you know, they, they it doesn't become that thing where they're just kind of filling in seasons. And, and hopefully that's the case. But, I you know, I get the feeling like they've got to have some idea at this point where they're going. I, I completely agree. This is definitely not the kind of story where you can say, hey, guys, we'll wing it as we go. Um, you cannot, I mean, if you do that, you might, you'll get off with like two or three good seasons and then it'll, it'll show and it'll, it'll start to fall apart. Um, and I also agree with you. It, it feels when I look at it, I mean, it could still be that, but right now it looks like people who are in control of where they want the narrative to go. That doesn't mean that they've thought it out, you know, completely. Like I said, I do get the sense that, that they probably along the way kind of got, got an idea of what they could do with two in contrast with with season one but still i feel like they're in control of at least the end game where they wanted to go um i kind of hope also that um one thing that will not rein them in but will keep kind of an an end goal in sight is the fact that amazon is spending half a billion dollars on lord of the rings and i'm sure that in in light of that they probably don't want to be spending too many other hundreds of millions of dollars on other franchises and properties. So hopefully that's kind of an incentive for the man in the high castle guys to say, Hey, you know, we have two, three years, two, three good years where we can do stuff, but the Amazon dollars aren't going to last forever because they got to go to middle earth. So <laughs> we have to wrap it up at some point. Yeah, I, I definitely hope. And I, you know, I get the sense that, this may be maybe this is a four season show and you know you 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 really ramp things up in season three you know with with the alternate universes and everything and then you find a way to make a resolution throughout season four it just seems smart to me but you know who knows we'll see so um thank you everybody for joining us this has been a blast we will be covering season three uh or soon after it comes out nick and i have already made that uh uh, commitment to each other that we will be covering that. So happy to be back anytime and super excited to actually be watching season three with you. It'll be a really uh, good experience. Uh, I, I, we didn't even mention how long it's been that you've been trying to get me to watch this show. See, I was good. I wasn't going to say it <laughs> for about like what, uh, well, close to two years. Cause I mentioned it to you a couple of times when I saw season one, which was good. But it's really when season two hit about a year ago, a little a little under a year ago, that I was like, okay, you got to watch this. It's fantastic. And I, I had, you know, based on we, we know each other, you know, we're good friends. I, I, I was like, not only do I think it's really good, but I knew you would like it. And so I've been I've been desperate for you to watch it just because I, I, I knew you would appreciate it for many of the themes we've talked about. And, and so I'm, I'm really glad that you finally got, got around to you had time to check it out. Well, me too, and uh, I am so glad that uh, we got a chance to do that because we've got uh, great patrons here, great associate p- producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Daniel Noah, who support the show through Patreon, and they have chosen the 602 Club as the show that they want to put their name on as associate producers, and I appreciate these gentlemen so much. They have been with me for a long time, and making sure that not only the 602 Club, but the entire network keeps coming to you each and every week. I can't stress enough how big of an enterprise this is to put together, 
this is a, a, a really expensive thing to do with this many podcasts. Um, and honestly, you know, it, it's free of ads for you guys, you know, so it is just free content. And so if you'd like to be part of the team, make sure all of this keeps coming to you. Go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. See how you can support us. We have some different levels of contribution, which gives you extra things over there, the Patrons uh, Zone and the Patrons Roundtable and all those kind of things you can check out. But honestly, in the end, every little bit helps. So again, go over to patreon.com and see how you can make sure that you keep getting this awesome content each and every week from Trek FM. Uh, Nick, it is so great to have you here back and can't wait to dive into Season 3. It'll be here before we know it. But is there anywhere that uh, maybe people can catch up with you and talk to you uh, about, uh, you know, your love of something like Man in the High Castle? You're a huge, obviously, Star Wars fan. Where can people catch up with you if they want to talk to you? Thanks. Yeah, the best place is to track me down on Facebook. Um, I'm there under my name. Uh, or you can also find me in the Babel Conference via the, the Trek FM uh, closed group that you mentioned. Uh, the head of the show, which I uh, am part of, and I do spend quite a bit of time there. Um, I also am lucky enough that you have had me on the 602 Club several times. I've been on some of the other shows on Trek FM. So if you go on the Trek FM pages and search, you, you'll probably find me loitering wherever wherever people will let me uh, uh, have a, a, a back corner in their in their podcasting room and, and lend a mic to me for an hour or two. Um, so yeah, those are probably the best places to find me. Awesome, man. Uh, well, Hey everybody, you can find me all over the place. I am on Twitter, Matt rushing zero two and on Instagram under the same name. You can also find me here on the network. Uh, every once in a while, getting a chance to record with Chris on the orb. As we talk about star Trek, deep space nine, I'm over on the nerd party network. I do a few shows there. One is called owl post with Drea Kaufman. We walk through the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. Uh, we are not that far away from being done with the Goblet of Fire, and then we'll be diving, of course, into the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, you can also find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we dive into a new Star Wars topic each and every week. Uh, it is a blast doing that show with him. I hope you will check it out. We, uh, it, it's, it's just joy. It's pure Star Wars goodness every week. And then last but not least, doing a fun show with my friend Courtney called cinema stories and that's where we look at films through the lens of faith but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear you